the deeper I can get or the higher level thinking I can get from that organization, the better I understand their brand, the better I'm able to represent it and, and create strategic communications around that. You're listening to Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay, a podcast that empowers financial brand marketing, sales and leadership teams to maximize their digital growth potential by generating 10 times more loans and deposits. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insights series, where James Robert Lay interviews the industry's top marketing, sales, and fintech leaders, sharing practical wisdom to exponentially elevate you and your team. Let's get into the show. Greetings and hello. I am James Robert Lay and welcome to episode 240 of the Banking on Digital Growth podcast. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insight series and I'm excited to welcome Sarah Cook to the show. Sarah is the principal of Cook Consulting Solutions where she creates meaningful storytelling for financial brands to generate engagement and most importantly, conversions through proven communication strategies. And it is those communication strategies that I'm looking forward to talking through with Sarah today to empower you, the dear listener, to maximize your future digital growth potential going forward. Welcome to the show, Sarah. It is so good to share time with you today. Thank you so much for having me, James Robert. I'm super excited. We have so much to talk about content, PR, communications. Before we get into that, though, what is good for you? What is good for you right now, personally or professionally? It is always your pick to get started on a positive note. Well, there's always a lot of good things going on. Uh, I think you you make that happen for yourself. Two things, uh, personally at least. Uh, I discovered first and foremost that I don't want to live to work anymore. I want to work to live, <laughs> which we were kind of talking about before the show um, and working intentionally toward that. And then also I'm going to be a grandmother at the end of the month. So excited about that as well as thinking, holy crap, I'm not that old. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then professionally, just there's a lot of opportunities out there in the credit union market and community banking market for communications needs, you know, between you know, anything from Ukrainian awareness to media relations, all the things that Ukrainians need and want and should be doing to uh, to be sharing their story. Yeah, and I think that's where I want to go today. And, and first, I want to roll back to something that you said I think is very important for the dear listener just to tune into. We create our reality based upon what we think, based upon what we say, Roll that back, because I think that was a very important takeaway right there. It's, it's a different way of thinking about things. And I want to hear it in, in your own words. I don't want to live to work because, you know, there was a time when I was working a lot of hours, and I still do, uh, especially, of course, being uh, self-employed. But I want to be get to a point where I can work to live. Yes, and I think just that intention right there is a massive transformation that I'm hearing from you, but I'm also hearing from a, a lot of other leaders that I have known for the last decade or more, and I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's just an experience that we have had coming out of, of COVID and we're just seeing things differently because when you see things differently, you begin to think differently. And when you think differently, you begin to feel differently. And when you start to feel differently, you begin to act 
differently. So just something to maybe kind of tune into, because all of this comes down to communication. In this particular case, it's, it's how we communicate with ourselves. But the work that you've been doing is communication, you know, externally, working with financial brands, working with fintechs to help communicate to the market. And you've written hundreds, if not millions of words over your career. And I want to look back just over the last decade and use that as a horizon line. Thinking about communication, what have been maybe some of the big patterns of transformation you have seen around communication just just within the last decade alone? Well, I think there are a couple different things going on. One, you know, media has become so much more decentralized. Mm. Every brand has their own blog. Every company like yours has a podcast. You have books. All these companies are creating their own media opportunities is, is part of it. But also, you know, everybody who wants to be on your podcast, everybody who wants to contribute to your blog. So there's a decentralization uh, of media as well as a lot more collaboration around it. Now, the con, I mean, the kind of the pro, the con is you have more choices to expand your reach. So you got to decide what it, what is the best target audience for me and who has that. I think it's an interesting point I want to dive deeper into. It's, it's the decentralization, and we're seeing decentralization in almost all areas, media, uh, education, banking, and finance. That could be very scary for the quote-unquote old guard. And if you think about your experience, I mean, you started – as an editor, writer, layout manager, uh, you know, credit union regulatory insider back in 1999, and then you, you worked your way through through the Credit Union Times, senior Washington reporter, and then editor-in-chief in from 2008 to 2012, decentralization for the quote-unquote the old guard is scary because they're losing control of what what was and I think as we're moving forward into this the next decade or so, at least to a, to 2030 there's a tremendous opportunity for brands to to basically marketing becomes little media entities within the organization. What's your take on that of marketing becoming and operating more like internal in-house media agencies? It's interesting because yes, while there is decentralization because it's so much more accessible to companies and, and running their internal teams as a uh, marketing or media agency themselves. I mean, you look at some of the larger organizations like co-op, they produce nothing but kind of it's a ton of content out there that's all aligned with the story. So they're not only getting that distribution out there, they're controlling the message entirely where, you know, when you're pitching an article to a publication like Grain Times, American Banker, whoever it is, you get your say, but it may not come out exactly as mm. you would have it. I think there still is a value in media relations because it provides a certain level of authority, a third party kind of verification yep. that you know what you're talking about. But at the same time, they are less able to evolve because of corporate restrictions. A lot of companies are owned by larger companies and then they get swallowed up and there are certain verticals, there are certain cookie cutter things that are done across all the publications that they own that doesn't necessarily make sense um, for what you're trying to achieve, especially in a market as engaging, mm. if you will, as credit unions. 
I agree with you on the third party validation because that is where that uh, that position of authority and expertise I think is further validified. I mean, even if if one goes right now to chime.com and right underneath their hero image call to action, what do you see? You see Wall Street Journal, you see Forbes, you see the New York Times, you see USA Today, you see TechCrunch. They're just they're just logos. But mm-hmm. they bring a tremendous amount of weight into the subconscious mind of a prospective account holder visiting Chime. And we've been able to verify this through the digital secret shopping studies. And, and Chime is often used as a benchmark. And I would say 95% of the time, people do make a comment to the logos that they see right there for that third-party publication through traditional media outlets. But I want to roll back to another point that you made. Even though we have decentralization and that provides a path for brands to control more of the narrative, back to your point. Um, An abundance of opportunity can be very dangerous because we must focus in on the few. We know when we're trying to communicate to the masses, probably going to fall on deaf ears. Let's talk about the idea of niche or just focusing on the few. How are you guiding clients through that conversation? Because historically broadcast media is one message out to many people but through alternative media platforms podcast video etc you know even social media we can tap into smaller niche audiences what's your take yeah so i think it lends itself very well to strategic storytelling Mm. and one of the things that one of my clients talks about may i if i plug them absolutely (laughs) Okay, so yeah, Ronaldo Hardy, who is at uh, CU Strategic Planning, he's known for his good guy uh, work and turnaround work in different credit unions. Um, but he's also a preacher, and he's also like a community activist. And so his big thing about storytelling is that it can be done in chapters. So when you're intentional about it, when you know and understand the different audiences that you're trying to reach and who can help you reach them, that you can share your message in a way that can be received in the way that you want it to be received. So mostly, for example, you know, one of the things I kind of, uh, I don't want to say preach because I usually just nudge. It's more of a nudge. <laughs> I like that. Uh, my clients on when we're putting out a press release, for example, is what is the story? The story is not you. You're not the story. The story is this credit union or community, financial institution, whatever, that was successful and how they're successful. And then, yeah, you're involved in that. Right. And so it's about sharing that story. And I have Bo McDonald's been on here a couple of times, sharing that story so that it, it's not about your your company necessarily, but it's really sharing the credit union story, which is something that obviously the company wants to get out. Yeah. But also, you know, it's good for credit unions. It's good for credit unions to be like, hey, we're doing well. Digital growth is a journey from good to great. But sometimes this journey can feel confusing, frustrating, and overwhelming. The good news is you don't have to take this journey alone because now you can join a community of growth-minded marketing and sales leaders from financial brands and fintechs who are all learning, collaborating, and growing together. Visit digitalgrowth.com insider to learn more about how you can join the Digital Growth Insider community to maximize your future digital growth potential. Now, back to the show. 
Yeah, and I you're you're tapping into something. This was a key thesis or the key theme of my Finovate keynote a couple of weeks ago, playing the role of the helpful and empathetic guide. Uh, we 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 teach the story selling methodology that is rooted in thousands of years of of, of human behavior. Uh, stories. There's a bunch of research coming out around how story it, it connects people, it binds people together, but for some reason and I call this a narcissistic marketing problem, we want to talk about ourselves and all the good that we're doing. No one cares about that. That's the hard truth. That's the hard pill that some people just don't want to swallow. Why do we fight that? Why do we want to make the story, back to your point, about us when we're just doing nothing more than to facilitate the success and growth of other people in the communities that we as financial brands serve? Yeah, I 100% agree with you. I was speaking with a prospective client the other day, and we talked about one, she said they had never had good marketing, which I agree. But also, um, you know, the people who were doing the sales, it was all about the features. It was all about what we have to offer. It was not about, we can help you succeed. Here's, you know, here are the benefits and not even the benefits, but the benefits of the benefits to the the end user to the client um, and making it more about, again, like you said, flip that focus, yes. make it about them and not you and helping. You, you mentioned that this, this prospective client, they are aware. And I think that's like step number one. And then step number two, they admitted they, their marketing wasn't that great. You would agree. I think it goes deeper than that, though. I think, you know, marketing, and, and you touched on this before, and I wrote about this in Banking on Digital Growth. Marketing's role in, in this kind of this digital world that we live in is to control the message. It's to control the narrative, control the brand, however you want to frame that is fine, and then to generate some kind of top of funnel leads. Then sales comes in, they pick those leads up, they nurture those leads, they guide them to eventually close new deposits, accounts, yay, et cetera. But when one has the awareness, number one, and then two admits publicly, our marketing has not been that good. In fact, it probably has been pretty bad. Is it a marketing problem or is it more of a communication challenge diving even deeper because marketing kind of cuts all the way into communication, which then ties back into sales. What's your take? Oh, I have so many things to say. <laughs> um, as, as you noted earlier, I do tend to use communications rather than marketing because when people hear the term marketing, they're thinking ad placements. Yes. And that is so not what it, I mean, it's a very small piece of what it is. So, you know, by elevating communications, marketing to a strategic level in your organizations, when you hear, and I, I see this all the time when I work with different types of clients and I, the deeper I can get or the higher level thinking I can get from that organization, the better I understand their brand, the better I'm able to represent it and, and create strategic communications around that. So I think, you know, being strategic about that as your messaging, as well as your marketing cycle. There are so many, and you were talking about sales and marketing a minute ago. So many sales teams, just, we just want lead gen. I go, I have some clients, yeah. prospective clients that come to me. We just want lead gen. I'm like, then no, <laughs> because if you don't respect the marketing cycle, mm -hmm. which is, you know, 
you build your brand awareness, which helps build trust, but you're also engaging through your thought leadership and, and, and different uh, public relations so that you can build trust, engage, and then become one of those in consideration through your lead gen. And then once they become a client, back to, back again to the awareness. So you have the continued loyalty, you know, the continued help so that you build the loyalty with that client. And one of the issues that we often see, as I mentioned, sales just wants to jump to lead gen. Yep. And even in a lot of companies, um, higher ups want to just jump to lead gen. But you got to lay the, the groundwork first. You don't walk up to somebody and say, will you marry me? Mm. You just walk up, you say hello, you introduce yourself, you might go on a date, that kind of thing. So it's, it's very similar, but um, yeah, sales and marketing got to respect each other's abilities and, and trust each other. I think it's huge. I think that's a key word. It's to respect one another because we're all bringing a growth ability. We're all bringing something that can help the organization grow. But I would say marketing, uh, and, and this has been some recent discussions I've been having on LinkedIn, marketing has a marketing problem or marketing has, to your, your point, they have a communication problem within the organization. There's a, marketing is misunderstood. Um, why is that? Why do we have, or why does marketing or even just to, to the deeper level communication why is that misunderstood within an organization? Because like you said, even if we go all the way up, you know, they just want leads, 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 but it's not how it works in the, in the quote unquote real world. It's almost like lead gen is a result of demand gen. Like you create demand in the marketplace through communication, through story, through narrative, like anything that takes time, but we have a lack of patience to create something that is much more sustainable you can go out there run a campaign get a ton of leads but how many of those are qualified how many of those you know actually convert how many of those actually uh you know keep the relationship with the financial brand are we just churning and burning i think it all comes down to transforming the perception of marketing or communication within the organization that might cure some of the ills that we feel you know on a, on a much longer path here yeah i think it gets back to communication because when marketing isn't respected at a strategic level in the organization, it's not going to be respected down the line either. And, you know, I, I'm sure you know this as well as anybody, the first budgets to get cut um, are marketing because, are often marketing because they're seen as an expense rather than an investment yep. in your future growth. Yep. And, and I've been thinking so much about this writing banking on change um, and the idea of first and foremost defining in our own minds and then being able to communicate what the future self is for an individual, for a team, for an organization. And if we're not able to, A, define that for ourselves, and we'll in this particular case call this a, a marketing team, if we're not able to find what the future self of the marketing team is, we're going to have a very hard time communicating what that future state could be for the organization and the, the value that that can create for the rest of the organization. So I think that's very symptomatic though, because a lot of marketing teams or quote unquote communication teams, to use your vernacular here, they're, they're stuck in doing 
They're always behind schedule. They're getting these last-minute requests. They're viewed by others as glorified in-house kinkos. They're on-demand creative. It's not a very pretty place to be. In fact, it you know, it ten years to this to this day of the day of recording, October fourth. Um, my wife said, "Hey, it's the business." Or it's the family. Like, we were at a very low point because my professional life was taking a toll on my personal life because of this last minute always on stuck in the doing. How do you feel about that? And is it sustainable or does marketing need to create some space and time to pause, to reflect, to review, to learn, to think, to do even better, to get out of the cycle of doing? Is it is it dangerous? Yeah, I I definitely find myself getting in that point as well, um, because you know we're at the end of the year right now, and we were talking about earlier about you know do you blow it up, blow up your business and start over, mm. and where 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 do you go? But because some of the times and some of the clients do have that on demand constant. Um, churn of work of, of tasks to tick off a list yeah um it uh it does it absolutely gets in the way and and it's important to take time and step back i mean my my husband who's also my business partner is i mean that's that's our plan but it's our weekend plan right that's what we're doing on the weekends is working on our own businesses yeah and uh it's hard like i said I, i'm getting i want to get to a point where i want to where I can uh, work to live rather than live to work. You're bringing me back, like I said, to, to 2012 and for the first 10 years of the business, as I've, I've talked about before on this podcast, and I think Ronaldo's point is great. It's This is about chapters, and it's like we're writing our own story here. And if I think about those first 10 years, there were some really, really good chapters, and then there were some really dark chapters as well until it came to a point where I had to make a decision one way or another, and I chose, you know, to, to the, the point of Robert Frost, the poet, uh, he said, there's two paths that diverge in a yellow wood, and I took the one less traveled, that has made all the difference. I took the third path. I was like, I want to keep the business. Uh, I want to be to be better there uh, for, for myself and then for my team and, and then for the financial brands that, I, that I'm, you know, guiding. But I also want to be better on the home front as, as a husband, as a, as a father. Uh, at the time, it was just two kids, and, and now it's four, uh, because we were able to work through that but it was that constant doing that I was trapped in. Um, and it takes, I think, courage to just pause a little bit and to reflect about what we've been doing, but also to let go of what we have done up to this point to get us to where we're at. You know, it is often said that that's not going to get us to that next step that we need to take. And you know, we have to let go. I think if we're continuously operating in a state of, of chaos, that'll lead to crisis, which crisis, mm-hmm. crisis communication is another, I think, important area to, to dig into here for just a bit. Because crisis communication is not something that many think about until there's a crisis. And by that point, we're reacting when as if we took a different path, if we thought about crisis communication before the crisis, we'd be able to respond and not react. And there's a big difference between reacting and responding how might we be able to respond to crisis communication or have a crisis communication plan in place so that a crisis does not create as much pain as it would otherwise? 
So as I mentioned earlier, I started a media relations course and in week five, that's what we go over is crisis communications. And we use certain uh, examples that have come up recently um, <clears throat> that, um, you know, where a financial institution may not have been as prepared as it could have been. Um, and, you know, having a plan to start with is just the, the start because you never know the exact situation you're going to run into. Right. But setting a, a crisis comms team um, is important. It should have certain key leaders. It should have marketing. But really, whether you're the CEO or not, the marketing team should be running that or the your head of comms should be running that show. Yeah, being prepared for that is super important because you do see where um, situations come up that you weren't expecting, like your mobile banking not working for a month, or you have <laughs> a, <laughs> a situation where uh, that I ran into with one of my clients where one of their employees was not feeling respected and they felt it was because of their skin color and because of their gender. And to your point of responding versus reacting, this person already started making a little noise on social media. And so we put a plan in place, who was in charge, who was allowed to speak, who was not, where to direct everybody, what was going to be our proactive response yep. and what was going to be our reaction response i don't want to use reactionary but what is what it was going to be the response should this person try to do something directly uh to have a negative impact on the organization you know if you take that time to do the hard work if you will before a crisis when the crisis hits i think it allows an organization to communicate with confidence um Versus if you're not prepared, you're in that reaction state. And that's where just the chaos kind of continues mm -hmm. to build. And when you have that crisis communication plan ahead of time, it, it really connects back to what we were talking about before, controlling the narrative a bit more mm -hmm. versus the narrative quickly spiraling and spinning out of control. I think that's the interesting thing, too, when it comes to just communication as a whole um, and story and narrative is we will make up the narrative or the story. We might be given a little bit of information and we're going to bridge that quote unquote knowledge gap or that information gap. We're going to complete the narrative in our own mind when it comes to, you know, applying some of this thinking, whether it be communication or story or narrative, or PR, looking out into the future, let's just say over the next two to three years, what are you feeling most hopeful and excited about just kind of watching trends as they continue to transform and unfold? So one of the things <clears throat> I'm really liking is it seems there is a renewed interest in our boutique credit unions. Um, the ones that are, you know, less than 300 million, less than 500 million, you know, the credits that used to be mid-sized when I started in credit unions. Right. Um, as well as um, there are some efforts among the regulators and others to start new credit unions. Um, 
one of the things I feel like uh, the trade associations and a lot of other organizations work to support these smaller organ smaller uh, credit unions. For example, BECU, yep. you know, kind of adopted a credit union, and you know, it, it's not only built their brand within the credit market, but also, you know, their brand as a as a socially financially responsible organization um, in their community. But one of the things I, I would love to see too is um, how can smaller credit unions, smaller banks, same thing, give back to those partners or to the partners, uh, to the community, the, the credit union ecosystem as a whole. So using, for example, boutique business partners, you know, digital growth, uh, you know, you guys are a smaller organization, if you will, um, you know, supporting the organizations that can support you back beyond the dollars you spend with them. Yeah. Because I feel like a lot of credit is like, this is our budget. This has got to be da da da. And there could be, you may spend a dollar or two more sometimes, but what is the value you're getting out of that? Mm. And I think, you know, especially when we're talking cores, for example, that's one where credit unions by realizing the value yes. that a smaller organization might give you as in handholding and all the other things you don't have the capacity for. Yeah. You know, it's interesting you, you, you look and I like the framing of boutique um, because words have power. And if you keep hearing about smaller financial brands, smaller community institutions. And when I say community, I'm talking smaller community banks or smaller community credit unions. If that's what you hear, that will become an excuse. Well, we can't do this because we're a small credit union. We can't do that because we're a small credit union. I think about, you know, one organization in particular, um, Texas Tech Credit Union, Texas Tech, uh, coached them a couple years ago. One of the things that really excited and energized me with their team was the mindset that they had. They didn't think of themselves as small. They had a billion-dollar vision. And I think because they had a billion-dollar vision, they were able to punch above their weight class and do things that other, quote-unquote, smaller, or do you use your words, boutique institutions, organizations, were not and still are not doing today. A lot of it is because of the belief and the way that they viewed themselves. It's it's kind of like the, you know, we're small but mighty. Um, it's the same thing with our organization. Yes, we are a quote-unquote smaller organization, but I mean, I have a vision, you know, to, and really a purpose I call 1BXBTR, is to make the world a billion times better by, by helping a billion people get beyond financial stress. Um, is that going to happen in my lifetime? Time will tell, but I think the vision and the purpose that is driving me, that is far bigger. And it's like Dan Sullivan said it best. If you want to create a bigger future, you have to make your future bigger than your past. And that right there is just the small little you know, transitions of perception, how we perceive ourselves will, will directly impact the stories that A, we tell to ourselves those internally and then also how we communicate to ourselves externally so i i really appreciate the perspective of being 
not small, but boutique. And I've told my wife this since about 2019 that the the micro has the potential to beat the macro in the coming decade, even in the age of AI, because it is digital that provides us an exponential leap in capability. It provides us an exponential leap in communication um, that was not possible even just a decade ago. So the and you're seeing that with you know people on Instagram and on TikTok building these personal brands and that they're launching clothing lines around these personal brands. I think that's the the key thing that I would like for the dear listener to to remember is the micro, being yourself, being your team, maybe even being your organization. The micro has the potential to beat the macro because of the exponentiality of digital, because the exponentiality of communication through digital channels. That is the big difference when I look back over the last decade. If we can leave the dear listener with just one small step, as all transformation that leads to future growth begins with a small, simple step forward today, a small commitment, what would be the next best step that you would recommend to them for them to co- continue to communicate with confidence, whether that be internally to reposition marketing or externally within just you know the press, the marketplace as a whole in general? I hate to use the buzzword, but to really dive in with empathy in a way that is uh, useful and authentic. Again, another buzzword, but you know, in a way where you can communicate what you're trying to do internally within your organization, as well as externally, understand your audience and what they want. One of the biggest misses I think is um, in B2B particularly is finding the feels. People have lots of feelings about their jobs. They have lots of feelings about their money. They have lots of feelings about the feelings. And really understanding and tapping into that will help you to be able to communicate everything much better. I like that. Go out and find the feels. Because money is emotional. The challenge that we face with that, and I wrote about this in Banking on Digital Growth, is that you have the banker's brain on one side, the very smart, analytical, left brain-driven leader, and then you have the emotive consumer. If we can bridge that gap first and foremost in the minds, we can do that by going out and finding the feels. That's it. I love that. Fantastic. Sarah, this has been a great conversation. Thank you for your knowledge and for your wisdom today. What is the best way for someone to continue the conversation with you going forward on their own journey of growth? Well, you can always check out my site at cookconsultingsolutions.com or email me at sarah at cookconsultingsolutions.com, the world's longest URL. Well, connect with Sarah. Learn with Sarah. Connect with her on LinkedIn too. You're pretty active on LinkedIn. You've got a, yeah, you, I try. you're always sharing some good, good ideas, good insights, good knowledge. And I am grateful for that. And then together we can all grow going forward. Sarah, thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Banking on Digital Growth. This has been a lot of fun. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. As always. And until next time, be well, do good, and make your bed. Thank you for listening to another episode of Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay. To get even more practical and proven insights along with coaching and guidance, visit digitalgrowth.com insider to join a community of growth-minded marketing and sales leaders from financial brands and fintechs. Until next time, be well and do good.